Hi, I'm Stefania Van Dyke, Senior Interpretive Specialist at the Denver Art Museum. For the exhibition, Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature, we created a conversational audio tour in which the exhibition's co-curators, director Christoph Heinrich and chief curator Angelica Danio, talk about Monet and his work. We also interviewed five non-art experts to offer unique perspectives that could help visitors look at Monet's paintings in a new way. In this series of podcasts, we expand on those conversations. Here, I talk with Catherine McCord about Monet's garden. My name is Catherine McCord, and I am a program coordinator at Denver Botanic Gardens, but I also work with the horticultural therapy department. So we run horticultural therapy programs both on-site and off-site. As you know, in this exhibition, we're exploring Monet's relationship with nature, and a big part of that was gardening. Can you talk about the human connection to nature and why that's important? In the early 1980s, Edward Wilson proposed this hypothesis of biophilia, stating that humans have this innate connection to nature. And it seems like intuitive to most people that we don't need to study those kinds of things, but providing that data and showing that, it is astounding to see how many health benefits we get from interacting with nature, even just seeing nature. And studies have shown that it reduces stress, it cultivates a sense of belonging, identity, and agency. And agency is really important to people when we're going through life and it can be really stressful and we often feel like we have a lack of control over what's going on. So when you're out in nature, you kind of feel this connectedness and this sense of belonging and where you feel like you are in control of of what you want out of your life and what you can do. That's interesting in terms of Monet because he went out into nature and these places that obviously he didn't create or put together, but his garden was a place that he actually again had control over. He was very obsessive about his garden, especially as he got older. So what are some benefits to gardening? So gardening for older adults provides an opportunity for physical activity without it feeling like exercise. Like fine motor skills, you can plant seeds or use hand tools, and that's kind of going to help you with your dexterity and help with developing those fine motor skills. And for adults who may be experiencing memory loss, they have trouble recognizing their family members or having trouble having those kinds of conversations, if you get them into a garden setting, they will start to stimulate memory recall and they'll be able to share stories that you might have never heard before. And you're building these new connections with them that is really sweet and you're learning a lot from each other. Sometimes it can be stressful, like not being able to recall a memory and not being able to have a conversation with a family member at a certain time. But once you're in the garden, you're more able to kind of let your mind wander and see what sensory experiences create a memory recall. That's so interesting. Speaking of the sensory components, Monet's eyesight was failing. He had cataracts and he resisted surgery for a long time, but eventually he got it. We don't have a way to know this, but is it possible that other senses might be enhanced if one sense is failing? Have you experienced that with people? I think that It is definitely possible that he could have tuned into his other senses. Maybe they were enhanced or maybe he was just able to be more attuned and aware of what he was feeling. So if you go into a garden, you're really able to isolate different senses, but a lot of times we rely most readily on our visual senses. But if you were to take yourself into a garden and close your eyes and isolate different senses, spend a few moments thinking about How does the wind feel on my skin? How does the sun feel? So I think it's definitely possible that he was able to 
lean on other senses more. And when I look at his paintings later in life, I see more of a connectivity, a more immersive feeling. It's not, I'm looking at what he's wanting me to see. I feel like I'm looking at what he's feeling. So if I were to close my eyes and think about what am I smelling and how does that relate to to what I'm experiencing? There can be layers of scent, different trees I'm smelling or flowers. You mentioned some of his later paintings of his garden at Giverny. Can you talk a little bit more about what you meant when you said when you see his paintings, you're seeing not what he wanted you to see, but you feel what he was feeling? So when I look at these paintings, I see less detail. This feels more expressive and more immersive of what Monet might have been feeling when you aren't just focusing on what you're visually seeing, but what you're experiencing physically, what you're smelling, what you're hearing. And everything feels really fluid to me and really kind of in motion and kind of how it's all connected. And that goes back to the biophilia where we're innately connected to nature, where we're part of it. We don't see any clear delineations where one piece ends and another begins. Everything's really flowing into each other. Monet also had this really meticulous plan for his garden, and he had these obsessively detailed instructions for his gardeners, like, before I get back, don't forget the lily bulbs, get down to pruning. If the weather's bad, make sure, blah, 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 don't forget. Is planting a garden part of the therapeutic nature, or is it just the gardening itself? So planting a garden is definitely therapeutic. It gives a sense of hope for the future, a sense that you will be there to see this blossom. And I think especially when people are going through difficult situations or times of loss, this sentiment can be really uplifting to know that I want to be there to see this. Or in terms of people who might be unwell, they could plant a garden and say, I want this to live on for someone else. So it can be a really deeply connected piece of someone's healing journey. Well, Monet did say, my garden is my greatest masterpiece. And his garden in Giverny still lives on, and they basically follow the same plan and instructions that he set out. We talked about how gardening can help people cope with difficult things in their lives. For example, Monet lost his wife in 1911, and so the garden that had been a laboratory of planting and painting became a place of refuge and recovery from grief. And then his son Jean died in 1914. There was also World War I happening. Can you talk about that a bit? So gardens can be considered sanctuaries or safe spaces that help cultivate a sense of agency when you're processing or unpacking difficult life events. And when you're in a garden, you can do this. You can sit with that grief without judgment and without having to show that you're not grieving. You know, you're just allowed to be and allowed to experience what you're experiencing. Have you heard the phrase, no mud, no lotus? No. So if you look at water lilies and you look at lotus flowers, they are always growing in this really murky, muddy water. And that's a really great metaphor for loss and grief and suffering, where you think about, you're looking at that, and it seems like all of your suffering is manifesting in this mud and this muck, and it's cloudy and it's hard to see anything. But if you really, I was doing this this morning, if you look into it, you see a whole ecosystem. There's fish feeding in there, there's bugs flying around. There's a lot of life in there. And then from that grows out this beautiful water lily. So it's a really great metaphor for people who are suffering where they feel like 
they've lost hope or they feel like there's just so much going on. It's so difficult in their lives. But that struggle is part of life. And it's really important to be able to see that because a lot of times people, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to feel bad. So we do whatever we can to not feel bad. We, we consume, we read media, we check social media, we go out to eat, we go out for drinks and we'll do whatever we can so that we don't have to sit with this pain. But when we're in nature and when we're in gardens, we can see that whole cycle of life where we see something budding and blooming and we see the vibrancy of it and it's full of life. And then we see it at the end of its life where it, it returns back to the earth. So it's really important to be able to acknowledge those kinds of cycles of life and see what beauty can grow out of it and that we're capable of that too. That's lovely. Monet had a lot of different varieties of flowers throughout his garden. Are there particular flowers in his garden that might have had therapeutic properties? So roses and peonies are considered to be memory plants, meaning they are really easily identifiable. Most people have seen roses and peonies and have fond memories of them. And they're so aromatic that our sense of scent is so strongly tied to our memory and smelling peonies and roses can stimulate that memory recall. And usually when people have memories associated with roses and peonies, they are fond memories. So it's a really great flower to bring about a great conversation. Roses symbolize love and friendship, and they're believed to soften the heart, ease stress, and grief. Monet was working on a pretty stressful project of enormous water lily paintings toward the end of his life. Let's think about color. There are a lot of pastels in Monet's paintings, but there are also pops of really bright colors. For example, this red in this painting of his peony garden from 1887. Monet created specific beds of flowers that had different shades of a particular color, as well as complementary colors. These would be essentially color studies for his paintings. I'm wondering about the therapeutic nature of color. Yeah, so colors like blue and purple are more relaxing and can create a more restful space in the garden. So you can think about different places of your gardens being like different rooms. So for some of Monet's paintings, we see a lot of vibrant reds and oranges. It's a more evocative space. It's more vibrant, it's more energizing. And then there are places that could be more restful and relaxing with the the purple and blue hues. We're almost out of time. Any last thoughts you want to add, Catherine? Being in a garden, it, it really shows this interconnectedness that we have to the earth. And we're able to appreciate things more when we're right in front of a plant because we can see what the wind is doing to it. We might feel a little bit cold, but then we have this compassion for, well, what are the elements doing to these plants and what, what do they need? And if it's raining or snowing on a day that we wanted to go out and do something active outside, we're able to say, well, this is gonna provide nourishment for these plants and it's a really good thing for them. And I might be sad for my daffodils and tulips because of this recent snowstorm, but I'm happy for what is next to bloom because plants really show us the importance of impermanence and that even good feelings like happiness aren't permanent and we have to cultivate them just as much as we have to cultivate our gardens. That reminds me that when Monet traveled, he wrote letters back home to Giverny where he talks about his plants and flowers as if they're people. For example, 
It would be murder not to properly care for my roses. Exactly. You form really strong attachments to caring for these plants. And it sounds like for Monet, with losing his wife and son, that he now nurtured and cared for these plants as if they were people and family members to him. This has been so interesting, Catherine. I really appreciate all your insights. Thank you for listening to Beyond Monet. Claude Monet, The Truth of Nature is on view at the Denver Art Museum through February 2nd, 2020. For information about this exhibition, visit www.denverartmuseum.org. Music was generously provided by the Denver Philharmonic Orchestra. This podcast was produced by Postmodern Company in Denver, Colorado. Please check out the other episodes in this series. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe.